Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zaras. I hope everybody got a chance to listen to Monday's recapping episode discussing the Bengals and Rams wins on Conference Championship Sunday. Took a real deep look into some of the trends that made those games unfold the way they did, the personnel usages, the play calling, the splits out of what type of plays teams were running in the second half, that kind of thing. I want to do another deep dive on both of those games after I've had a chance to rewatch both of them, watch the coaches film, the all 22 angles, get a little bit more to work with. So I can try and unpack a little bit more of what both teams did that made them able to win on Sunday. But Today's not a football episode. Today, we're going to talk a little bit of puck because it's been a few days. I haven't talked puck since last week when we had guests. I do encourage you, if you haven't gotten a chance yet, to go back and listen to the episodes I recorded last week with Andrew Schnitger and Brian Smith about the Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers, respectively. Both are good, informative snapshots about where those teams are sitting at about the midway point of this season. And we'll see... How the guest list progresses, I got a guest lined up for Friday, which will be fun to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, trying to iron out some more for next week to continue this NHL status point, check in on where all these teams are at. We'll do not, we won't just do the teams that are looking towards the playoffs. We will do episodes about teams that are in the Western Conference, teams that are looking to get in. And then for some of the teams in the East, we'll do episodes about What went wrong for some of the teams in the East that thought they were going to make the postseason? And today's episode, originally, when I woke up today on Monday when I was going to do this episode, I had one idea for what I wanted today's show to be about. I was going to focus in specifically on the Rangers and try and figure out a little bit deeper understanding of what they're doing to be successful aside from just having great goaltending because there is something to some degree that is working here. And I have had a few conversations with people who are working on some things that are a little bit above my math skills to be able to do, but I feel like I am somewhere towards the right track. I'm trying to understand the correlation between just why the Rangers are playing so poorly at 5-on-5, even though they have decent talent. And I do want to make a point of saying you kind of kind of throw out the last few games, the games without Adam Fox, without Capococco, without Filipito. Those are three crucial pieces in this lineup. You got to remember, man, when Kako and Hedl aren't in there, we're getting Johnny Brzezinski, we're getting Greg McKegg, we're, we're getting Julian Gauthier playing up in the lineup as opposed to the fourth line. And no Fox, man, is just, that is so much to overcome because of how good Adam Fox is at five on five of When he's out there, the entire offense runs through him, no matter who's playing forward. If Fox is out there, the puck is going to find him. Because as the great Rick Nash once said, good players find the puck, and the puck finds good players at important situations in the game. Today's episode is actually going to be framed around something. I was reading about that journalist I follow, Kevin Clark, bumped last night at about 1 in the morning after the Rams had won. And it was framed around the idea of are franchises honest with themselves in the direction of their team? Do they do their stated goals match up with the decisions they make in terms of what their front office does, what their coaching staff does? And that's how we're going to frame today's episode. How honest are these teams with themselves? And 
We are going to use the Rangers mostly as the case study because it's the team I'm the most intimately familiar with, the one I have the most understanding of. But you can apply the same litmus test to any any team out there, and you can do it to your own team and see if what your team's doing is making sense. But before I get to today's conversation, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. The legwork is there, man. I, it takes a lot, a lot of legwork to make the th- make this podcast happen because of all the research I have to do on a daily basis. All the stuff I write takes even more time. The Henrik Lundqvist post I had go up on Friday, which if you haven't gotten a chance to read it yet on Gotham SN, I highly recommend taking the 5-10 minutes to read it. I went through every single playoff box score we have the statistical data for to kind of illustrate just how important Henrik Lundqvist was to all of those sustained playoff ranger playoff runs that I just repeated myself all of those sustained playoff runs where the Rangers were winning a round or two pretty much every single year for a few year window there that was because of Henrik Lundqvist and that was a really good blog to write and Friday was a lot I will talk about it a little bit on this episode on the other side of the drop do a little bit of a about it, some of my thoughts about the ceremony, kind that kind of thing. But one last thing, got to support the show, man. No matter who you are out there listening, please, 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 please subscribe to the show, whatever podcasting platform you like to use. If you like to use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. Apple Podcasts. You go to the show's page, you scroll past our recent few episodes, there's a button at the bottom. Five purple stars, you hit the one furthest to the right, underneath that is a little button that says write a review. Take a minute, leave a written review, doesn't cost you anything, it helps me out immensely, any feedback is good. Spotify, you gotta listen to a few episodes before you can leave a review. Once you've done that, leave a five star review, please, please, please. Trying to grow the show organically. It is really hard to do to start a show from basically the ground floor with no institutional support. But we're trying partly because this is fun and partly because I, this is what I do. I talk about this stuff and if I'm going to do it like a crazy person at the bus stop, I might as well do it into a microphone and see if anybody else gets something out of it. So I'll see you guys in one second and we will do our understanding. Our, we will do our litmus test if your NHL franchise is being honest with itself. And with that, we will get on into it. So, I want you to start here. This entire episode is centered around being honest, understanding where your team is going, If your team is being honest with their intentions, their messaging, their direction, all of the stuff you think about when you're deciding how you feel about the things your team is doing. So we start with this idea. I started with this idea initially of working based on something I read, and we're going to get to that article, which I talked about in the monologue in a second. But when you think about lying, the hardest part when you lie is having to maintain said lie. And, of course, if you lie to maintain the original lie, the lies begin to compound on top of each other, and it becomes a lot more difficult to maintain this. And that's why you get into this situation with people who are pathological liars, who can't help themselves, they 
cannot have they can't stop themselves from lying initially so they have to lie even more to maintain other lies and they become distrustworthy you can't take anything they say at face value and it becomes impossible to trust them and i just want you to keep that in mind that idea of building credibility over time and if you don't maintain credibility and you don't have any credibility even if you might be doing the right thing doesn't matter because nobody trusts you that's what I want you to keep in mind for today's episode and the rest of this conversation as we move forward. So I'm going to read verbatim from the Kevin Clark article that I talked about in the opening monologue and give you an idea of where my mindset was after I read it. Throughout the years, I've come to learn how few teams are trying to win a championship every season. A few years ago, a smart NFL person estimated that only 10 or so teams were actively trying to win the Super Bowl any given year. San Francisco coach Kyle Shanahan said on the Flying Coach podcast, the real number is about five, and those other five teams are just trying to survive one more season. In his new book on the Patriots dynasty, It's Better to Be Feared, Seth Wickersham writes that Jimmy Johnson told Bill Belichick, That if you just get out of the way, 20 teams will remove themselves from competition. Job preservation, saving money, and not doing anything too weird that you'll get noticed are guiding principles in many front offices. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of the NHL, which is even more... There is even more of a stark demarcation between the teams that are trying to actively win and the teams that aren't because of the lottery system, and because of the market squeeze that some teams feel. There are a handful of teams in the NHL every single year that know they will not be able to woo a superstar free agent if they were ever to become available, or that if a superstar player were available on the trade market, they would never accept a trade to go to that locale. So when you are one of these teams that is in what I would call a squeezed market where you have to make up a lot of your own solutions in-house because you are never going to be able to attract the bulk of players. You are never going to be able to attract the franchise-altering player there of their own free will. Just It is a lot more difficult to win in the NHL with just one guy. This is not the NBA where if Kyrie Irving chooses to go to one team by himself, he can get that team to the playoffs by himself because of how just how few players play in the course of an NBA game. You think most teams have 10-man rotation during the regular season. The longer that goes, the deeper you get, the shorter that rotation gets to. You're down to eight guys come the real nitty-gritty part of the postseason. So, yeah, you get one or two superstars in the NBA. That can dramatically change everything. The NHL... You got to stink for a few years, and then it's not just enough to stink. You also have to get those players in place to succeed once you've acquired them. And this is where we can start to talk about this in the context of the Rangers and doing our litmus test. So, you have a stated objective. For four years, the Rangers said our stated objective was to accumulate as much talent as possible and to let them learn by fire, to sink or swim, if we're going to be bad anyway, we might as well get our young guys as much experience as possible so that when the time comes, they are forged. They have calcified the wounds of those tough, difficult seasons. 
The Rangers did that for two seasons. They did that for 17-18 after they realized they were fucked. And it is important to delineate that, that that Rangers team going into 2017-2018, I'm looking at the poster on my wall, they gave out opening night of the 2017-2018 season. The most prominent faces on that poster are Henrik Lundqvist, Ryan McDonough, Rick Nash, Kevin Shattenkirk, Matt Zuccarello, Brady Shea, Michael Grabner, Nick Holden, the back of Pavel Buchnevich. There is a single picture of Mika Zibanejad. There is a single picture of Chris Kreider. There is a picture of Tony D'Angelo. There is a picture of Brendan Smith. And you just think about how far removed we are from that iteration of the Rangers four years ago. I'm not going to rehash every step of the rebuild, the players they traded, the assets they got back, but 17-18, you think you're going to be a playoff team coming into the year. So that Rangers team, 17-18, they fall into the categories. I wrote, I wrote down all 32 NHL franchises into, no, definitely not, yes, you're a contender, and maybe or you're delusional as the third category. And that 17-18 team is a maybe or you're a delusional because – that team, if everything broke right for them, maybe you get another postseason, you could win a round. But when it came time to play Washington, Pittsburgh, the Carolina team that had a very nice run that year, I just, it just never seemed practical to expect that team to be able to contend for a Stanley Cup the way it was constructed because it wasn't. And that is where we can start to get into the, the honesty portion of this because you have older players that you expect to be able to carry the bulk of your load. They're playing injured. Kevin Shattenkirk is playing on a bad meniscus that entire season before he shuts it down in January. McDonough is playing hurt that entire season before they trade him to Tampa. He grits it out. He sucks it up. He goes to Tampa. Tampa loses in the first round that year to Columbus, continuing. Rick Dash goes to Boston. Never the same, concussion, that's the end of his NHL career. And then you build up the assets. You have the three first-round picks the following season. You have the two in 17-18 in the 2017 draft where you end up taking Heedle and Anderson. Anderson, who is yet to break out into the NHL, become an NHL regular. And Philip Heedle, who has the look and has the tools of a good NHL player but just cannot put it together statistically, even though his underlying numbers are pretty decent and his transition numbers are pretty decent, you're still waiting. And this is where we can start to get into the honesty portion of this conversation. The Rangers, in 1819, that first year of David Quinn, you know it's going to be a lean year. And then you trade Kevin Hayes and you trade Matt Zuccarello. And you keep you keep Chris Kreider, which caught people by surprise. You just you think about that. That you give away your you trade away your second best center and your best wing at the time. And then that summer is where that summer is where the Rangers went from rebuilding to we want to make the playoffs. We don't really care about building. And that is where the honesty really starts to haze a little bit. I understand that the Rangers are a business. They need to sell tickets. It's not easy to sell tickets when the team is bad. You have your season ticket holders complaining that the secondary market is depressed because nobody wants to buy tickets for face value for a dog shit team. 
There's a reason the most Ranger games I went to in any calendar year were 2017, 2018, and 2018, 2019. Those teams were very bad. It was a lot more affordable to go to games when the team is very bad. And that is where the problems that the team is dealing with right now start. Because you have Filipino, you have Leah Sanderson. How come those guys aren't getting premium ice time? You have Pavel Buchnevich. Why isn't he getting a ton of ice time? You have Jimmy Vesey. Why isn't he getting a ton of ice time? You have Brett Howden. I can't believe I just said that out loud. How come he's not playing a role where you can expect something out of him? All of these guys I just named are pieces that the Rangers had and didn't know what to do with them. And this has been a problem the Rangers have had forever. They do not understand how to develop talent because all of their good talent developed in other places. Most of their best players in this era, aside from Lundqvist himself, were drafted in other places, developed by other organizations, played in the KHL, or played college hockey. Derek Stepan, college hockey. Ryan McDonough, college hockey. Chris Kreider, college hockey. Rick Nash, Minnesota. Brad Richards, several other organizations before he got to New York. Marty St. Louis, Lightning, the Flames. You start, you just, you go down the mental Rolodex. JT Miller, U.S. National Development Team program. He never really developed in New York. He had the two decent seasons before they traded him with McDonough. He never really fired off all the way into what he could be, where now he's over a point a game in Vancouver. Well, it took two changes of scenery for them to get JT Miller right. And you just start going down the list, and you think about the guys that are on the team now. When you think about Kako, you think about Lafreniere, Heedle, you're still waiting for, Ke'Andre Miller, you're still waiting for, Nils Lundqvist, Braden Schneider, who they're giving a reasonable chance to, I'll get to that. Zach Jones? I mean, all of these pieces that you had time to season, get prepared for the NHL, they're not prepared for the NHL. And now you need them to be competitive. You can have a really good roster on opening night. You are not getting through an entire season unscathed. You think about the injuries the Rangers have right now. They are missing a middle six forward in Heedle, a top six forward, which is what Kako is, even if they play him on the third line for some reason, or they drop him to the fourth line for some reason. Kako is a top six forward. If you are sliding guys like Julian Gauthier, Dryden Hunt, Ryan Reeves, Kevin Rooney, Barkley Goudreau, if those guys are playing more than fourth-line minutes, you are not a serious NHL hockey team. You are not a contender. If you are playing guys who are either over the hill, which I'm being polite when I say that about Ryan Reeves, amongst other problems I have with using Ryan Reeves so much, the way he just doesn't really give you anything from a hockey perspective. Yes, the intangibles have value. You're telling me you can't find somebody who's good at hockey and has good intangibles? I, 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 I remain to be skeptical of the value of emphasizing intangibles over someone who can play hockey because you're telling me there's nobody else you could find in the NHL. You had $9 million in cap space once you traded away Pavel Buchnevich, and there was nobody of good with who was good for the locker room you could go out and get. That's what you're going to tell me, man? Come on now. And that's where we get into this disingenuous dishonesty thing. The Rangers 
said they were rebuilding. They took a shortcut. They took the escape hatch. They hit the ejector seat. Whatever phrase you want to use when they signed Panarin and they traded for Trubo. In doing that, you said, I don't really care about winning the Stanley Cup. I just want to make the playoffs. And that is the problem a lot of these teams have. This is where we get into the thing that is so important in that excerpt I read from that article. 20 teams will remove themselves from competition. Job preservation, saving money, and not doing anything too weird. That is where the Rangers are at. They had an owner who, in James Dolan, is erratic, who is at times been a real problem with the Knicks, with the Rangers, and probably got tired of the Rangers not being in the playoffs for two straight seasons and said, well, if we get Panarin and we get Truba in here, that'll speed this up. That'll make Kako and Hedl's lives a lot easier because they'll go on to a team with good players and they won't have to do as much heavy lifting. The flawed problem with that logic was you already, as a franchise, know you don't develop young players, especially forwards. Defensemen, they've been better with historically in this period. Forwards are a legitimate problem, where if they haven't been developed by other organizations in college hockey or over in Russia, they have not popped. And even the ones who have, have taken a while to pop, in a way, because they were shoehorned in to specific roles, they weren't given a ton of power play time, and they were never able to build up their confidence. When I think about the problems the Rangers have right now, the bulk of their offense is four guys. It's Fox, it's Kreider, it's Zabinajad, it's Panarin, and I'll be nice, I'll say Strom, five. That is all of the offense this team gets with consistency. Whoever's playing second line right wing with Strom and Panarin, if it's Goudreau, you can't bank on him to score points. Kako, who's playing well, you can't bank on the score points. Lafreniere, who is playing decently, cannot be counted on to score goals right now. You go further down that lineup, and Hedl, you're still waiting for him to get that shooting percentage over five. Vitaly Kravtsov's not coming back. Barkley Goudreau does not shoot. He is not a sniper. No one on that fourth line is a goal scorer. Before the season, I said the Rangers were going to need to find a way to make up about 25 goals. They brought in Sammy Blay, who is not in the picture because of injury, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, even though that's just not understanding your value. And that's another one where it's, we're just trying to raise the floor, not the ceiling. And that is the undercurrent with all of the moves the Rangers have made in the last couple months firing jd and jeff gordon who i was not the biggest proponents of i did not think either of them was particularly good at their jobs they made plenty of bad roster decisions bringing in goudreau bringing in reeves bringing in blay bringing in gallant at some point the Rangers were going to need to cross over the threshold from team with potential to probable playoff team. The Rangers tried to do that by importing credibility, experience, and intangibles from outside the organization because they don't know how to instill them in their own players. If you could develop good character and you had a healthy locker room, 
you would not have needed to go out and trade for Ryan Reeves, give him a contract extension before he even plays to get a guy who is 34 and 35. You paid an asset and you gave an extension to someone who will be 35 next season before he even got here because your locker room had such problems. All of these things are interconnected. You go back through the recent history. Leah Sanderson accusing the organization of looking the other way on things. The D'Angelo and Georgiev thing. All of this stuff is interconnected. For quite a while, the Rangers were able to just pluck anyone from any other organization onto their team from 2011-12 till about 16-17. And it worked, more or less, because there was enough talent that even if someone was kind of an asshole or they didn't pop off, they would be able to overcome that because there was so much talent on the rest of the team. Once you traded away your McDonough, your Nash, your Zuccarello, your Hayes, there's nobody in that room who feels emboldened to step up and to hold other people accountable because they always can at someone else to do that. And that, there's another thing for every single time I get into the argument of, would they need a captain? If there was a captain on the team, they would have named him. I don't think Truba or Kreider is a captain because of how last year went. If there was a true captain on that team last year, things would not have gotten off the rails as badly as they did at the end of the season last year. Again, this is all interconnected. Because they don't understand how to develop their talent both with intangibles and their on-ice results, they have to go out and get it from other places. They overpay for Goudreau. They overpay for Reeves. They overpay for Patrick Nemeth because they don't know how to develop defensemen. And this is where I can start actually talking about concrete things. For quite a while now, the Rangers have not understood how to evaluate defensemen. They have been throwing shit at the wall and hoping it works. You trade for Brendan Smith, you get a good four months out of him. He falls off a cliff because he loses. He gets out of shape over a summer. He comes in the following fall out of shape, and he's bad. He, he just loses it. He lost it. Once the confidence is gone, it's gone. Brady Shea, really good first three years on that entry-level contract. Lost his confidence playing first pair D on a bad team. Never repaired. Jacob Truba, 50 points on Winnipeg. Good underlying numbers. Comes to New York. Awful underlying numbers. Loses his job on the first power play because Adam Fox is so much better than him. Nemeth comes from Colorado. Has good underlying numbers. Awful. Just outright awful this year. And it's important to note. He stepped away from the team more than once this year for personal reasons. Maybe he's just having the year from hell, and that's part of this, and it needs to be accounted for. And I understand the team wants to respect his privacy, that they're going to say just personal reasons. If he needs time away from the team, don't keep rushing him back like you need him. Let him get his stuff right before you rush him back. These are the kind of things I'm talking about here. There is just such a misunderstanding of where the team is in every step of this. They think because they have Panarin, they have Fox, they have Shesterkin, they should be a playoff team. I don't disagree with that. If you came into this season with exactly last year's team, sans Tony D'Angelo, and you went out and... Just outright, you just got Barkley Goudreau and Ryan Reeves. You don't trade Buchnevich. This team is a playoff team. Just flat out, it is. 
even with Reeves and Goudreau, who I'm not fans of, on this team, they're a playoff team. They were close to being a playoff team last year before the season got off the rails. They lost a bunch of one-goal games last year. They had an abysmal... They were something like 5, 9, and 6 in one-goal games last year. It flipped all the way the other way this year. Now, the Rangers actually have a decent record in one-goal games, and it's part of why they have such a better record than they did last year. They're winning a lot more games, games they probably shouldn't be winning. And, yes, this is going to start getting into the goaltending and the more detailed version of this. The last time the Rangers were just this blatantly dishonest about the talent on their team was 2015-2016. That's the year they have the insanely hot fall. They play really well October, November, December. Second half of the season, the wheels start to come off. You you have to import a Danny Paye. You have Victor Stahlberg trying to replace Carl Hagelin minutes. You just go through that bottom lineup. You have Victor Stahlberg in there. You have Danny Paye in there. Oscar Lindbergh in there. And Dominic Moore in there, but a little bit older Dominic Moore. And the further you go down that lineup, you start to understand why the wheels came off. And the top six on that team, I went back and looked by minutes, was Zuccarello, Broussard, Nash, Jesper Foss, Derek Stepan, Chris Kreider. That's not the top six of a Stanley Cup contender, minutes-wise. It's not. It, it just flat-out is not. You will not win a Stanley Cup with Derek Stepan and Derek Broussard as your one-two centers. They have year-two Kevin Hayes down the middle, who is decent, but he doesn't really become the Kevin Hayes we know until the following season when they make the playoffs and they go to the second round and lose to Ottawa. The Rangers thought they were a Cup contender that year because they had Henrik Lundqvist. You hear me talk about it all the time. This is what I spent a bulk of the time on last Friday's episode talking about, excuse me, last Thursday's episode. Friday was the football recap preview episode. You got to remember, everything starts to blur together when you do the show every single day. But Thursday, I did the Lundqvist episode, and I talked about how the Rangers were dishonest with with themselves because they had Lundqvist. They just assumed he would always be able to make up the difference between winning and losing because he was so good. And sure, to some degree, that was true. He got a lot of okay and good teams to good and great teams. And that's not a knock against the guys on those teams. They won the games. Am I really going to kvetch if the team keeps winning and finding a way to win? And that gets to the problem of this season. So like I said, I went back and I compared the numbers between the 2015-16 Rangers and the current team that has played 29-14-36-30-43-46 46 games and they still have to play the Florida Panthers on Tuesday before the All-Star break. So, the 2015-2016 team, 26th in scoring chances per 60 minutes at 5-on-5. This year's team, 32nd out of 32. 2015-2016, third in goals for. So just the goals. How many goals, percentage of the goals in every game. If you have more than 50%, you have more than half. You've more than likely won the game. Third. This year, 15th. 2015 expected goals, 25th. This year, 31st. High danger chances. 28th in 2015-16, 26th this year. 
Shooting percentage, just what percent of your shots result in goals? 15-16, first in the league. This year, ninth. 2015-16, first in save percentage, fourth this year. This is one of the where there's, this is one of the outliers. The power play. This year's power play is a lot better than the 15-16 team. This year, fifth just in power play goals so far. Just goals. Not percentage of power plays that result in a goal. Just power play goals. That year, 2015-16, 24th. Goals conceded on the penalty kill. 23rd, both seasons. Identical. Goals saved above expected. This is a goalie stat. Specific to one goalie. I only did the starters. I didn't go to the backups. 2015-16, Henrik Lundqvist, second in the league, 21.71. This year, Igor Shosturkin, second in the league right now, behind Jack Campbell, who is playing right now, who got pulled, so he might be first again by now. But you get what I'm saying here. The statistical profile is very similar, with the single caveat being that this year's power play is a lot better than the 2015-2016 team. Now, you think about what happened to that 2015-2016 team. They got thumped. They lost in five to Pittsburgh, the eventual cup champions in the first round. The Rangers had to depart with a few pieces to save money because they were capped out. And the Rangers will be capped out after this season. And again, the Rangers said their goal was to start competing for a Stanley Cup. They said they expected to make the playoffs this year. And they're saying that with a group that is relatively young, for the most part. This is the fourth youngest roster in the NHL in terms of average age. But it does, it is worth mentioning that the Rangers' key contributors, their most important players in terms of statistical input, Chris Kreider is 30, Artemi Panarin is 30. Mika Zabinijad is 28. Jacob Truba is 27. A lot of this team's young talent, which brings the average age down, is not producing gaudy statistics. With the exception of Adam Fox, who is only 24, 23. Is my brain going to remember? Adam Fox is... This is terrible radio. I feel like Francesa right now. Hang on, hang on. 23. Adam Fox is 23. He's the youngest... He's the one young player who's putting up gaudy counting statistics. And I do always write... I do always write and say on this podcast that counting statistics are not the only way to evaluate talent. In fact, it's a bad way to evaluate certain types of talent. But when you are not scoring enough as a team, total, just goals, period, that becomes a problem because you're going to need that secondary scoring. And this is where we get into the fundamental flaw with the way the Rangers have constructed this team. And I know, I know, the Luddites out there who were, Barkley Goudreau is going to set a career high in goals. Barkley Goudreau has never played with anybody as good as Artemi Panarin for more than two minutes in his life. Okay, let let's be let's use context here. You know why Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere are not putting up gaudy counting stats? Because they're not getting power play time. 
that's the easiest place for either of those guys to start putting up counting stats because we want counting stats from these young guys. That's why you pick first and second overall in the draft. That's why there were 12 teams that came into the season with no expectation of winning the Stanley Cup because they want one of the guys you pick first or second overall. That is the thing here. You spent three full seasons being bad. You only intended to be bad in two of those seasons. You still flushed all of that time down the toilet to just try and take the easy way out because you got impatient is what Jimmy Johnson was talking about when he told Bill Belichick that 20 of the 32 teams take themselves out of it before the season starts because they, they just want to keep their job one more year. Drury only got this job because he told James Dolan, yeah, I'll do what you want. I'll get some goons in here. And he went out and got Goudreau, Reeves, and Nemeth, and Tenorti. And he got his promotion. He doesn't care about winning. He can surface level say he cares about winning, that this is his job, that he comes into work every day and he tries his best. He doesn't care about winning. That guy's not getting kept up at night about winning like the rest of us are, like those of us who root for the team. Th that is my single biggest gripe with everybody who covers the Rangers. Every single one of them takes the team at face value. No matter what bullshit the team gives them to their face, they type it out and say, Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant said blank. Rangers general manager Chris Drury said blank. Ha ha, I'm using emojis in my tweet. Isn't it so funny that they're disrespectful to my face? Don't I do a great job getting my pats on the head? It's infuriating. Infuriating to read that nonsense because you know it doesn't bother them. The Rangers think everything is fine. Being 32nd in scoring chances. Being 31st in expected goals. The Rangers thinks everything's great. They got a great goalie. They do not have a great team. And the Rangers refuse, refuse to be honest with themselves or the public. You can tell the Rangers are desperate. Look at the marketing tools they've broken out this year. Jersey retirement. Bobbleheads. Guest celebrity DJs for intermission. The Rangers don't care about winning. They care about getting rich people to buy corporate seats again. They care about all the businesses that canceled corporate seats because they couldn't afford to put that in the expenses going forward because they were in a pandemic. They're trying to get people to buy corporate tickets again. This is the cheapest Ranger tickets have been in my life. On a nightly basis, you can get into a game for less than $90. This is the first time this has happened since I've been able to buy tickets myself. I don't know how much tickets were when I was 10 because I was not looking at how much tickets were are when I was 10. This is the cheapest Ranger tickets have been pre-Cup Final. I don't know how much they were. 2011, 12, 12, 13... 13, 14, I started looking occasionally because I might be able to talk one of my parents into going. Wasn't I remember it was expensive to go to playoff games, but regular season, it was less than $100 most nights. So this is the cheapest it's been in a while, and the Rangers are just so desperate to get people in the door right now. They're trying everything they can in the marketing toolbook to get people to come back to going to games. And number one, 
it is a pandemic. I, I know largely the New York area has gotten over that Omicron bump from Christmas and Thanksgiving. It seems like those numbers are going in the right direction. There are some people who genuinely do not feel comfortable going to sporting events right now, and that's okay. There are some people who refuse to get vaccinated. You have a vaccination policy consistent with the city of New York. It's okay that those people don't go to games. It's okay, I promise. And this always, it all comes back to being honest with what you want. The Rangers don't particularly care about winning. They haven't made any real effort to be a winning hockey team. They go out and they get guys. Do these guys fit what they want to do? Did it fit to bring Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba onto a team that wasn't really good? Did it make sense to pick second overall and then spend the entire next two seasons yo-yoing the guy you picked second overall between the third, fourth, first, second, fourth, third, second, first, fourth, third, second lines for two and a half now going on year three, the last year of his entry-level contract? You have no idea what Capococco is after three years on an entry-level contract. That is an organizational failure. You do not know what you have from somebody you picked second overall for three years because you didn't know what to do with him. The Rangers hadn't picked that highly since before the Vietnam War. The Rangers hadn't picked second overall since the 60s. Okay, let just putting in the context here. If you don't know what to do with someone, yo-yoing them around, messing up their confidence to try and make the playoffs when you're not a good team is bad. That is what I'm talking about with honesty. Were the Rangers a playoff team in 1920? No. They had a good 15 games from January to March. They brought up Shesterkin. He played really well till he was in the car accident. Then Kreider broke his foot. They had the pandemic pause. They went to the bubble against Carolina. And that very bad team got exposed. Last year, that team wasn't horrendous, talent-wise. It played horrendous at 5-on-5. Five five. It had no real identity, nothing it was particularly good at. It was just waiting for Adam Fox to make a play worthy of winning the Norris or wait for Panarin to do something, but wait for Bucinavich to do something, wait for Zabinijad to do something. There is no bread and butter here. There is no knock-it-down if we can start doing this repetitively over the course of a game, we can wear the other team down. The Rangers spent last year thinking they were a playoff team when they weren't. This year, the Rangers were a playoff team. No matter what, coming into this season, the Rangers probably should have been a playoff team. Maybe low seed, wild card. That's progress. In the scope of roster building, in the NHL especially, which is similar to the ML, more similar to the MLB than it is the NFL, one draft pick was not going to turn this entire franchise around. The Rangers picked second and first overall in consecutive seasons. They have a Norris Trophy winner. They have a Hart Trophy candidate. They have a Vesna candidate. And they're still maybe the 12th best team in the league in terms of performance, in terms of how they play. 
they're getting elevated play from a handful of those guys, and that's making up the slack of half of the lineup. And just, you get so... And everybody looks at you like you don't know what you're talking about. They tell me to watch the games. The Rangers cannot exit the defensive zone ever. It is always clang off the boards, hope a forward clangs it in the neutral zone, into the offensive zone, go and get it. That is not an offense. Hitting a stretch pass to Panarin four times a game is not being good at transition. It is having an elite player who can make zone entries for himself. At some point, the Rangers not being honest with themselves is going to cost them. It might cost them as soon as this year. They might go and do something reckless at the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to trade Kako or Lafreniere, but if you trade one of those guys before their entry-level contract has expired because you didn't know how to use them, that is an institutional failure. Flat out, institutional failure. If you draft somebody first or second overall, you have two seasons in Lafreniere's case, not even two, one and a half by the time of the deadline this year, or three in the case of Kako by the end of this season when his ELC expired, you had three seasons with the second overall pick, and you have no idea what he is. Are you really ready to trade the first overall pick after a hundred a hundred games at the NHL level, which is probably what he would be, because last year he only played 54, 55 in the 56-game season. So by the time the deadline comes around in March, maybe 100 games. Are you ready for it? That is the kind of stuff that gets everybody angry. Now, I'm not saying the Rangers don't have a plan. I am saying the plan they have shown to the public does not make sense. Everything they said about this season was, we want to make the playoffs. Then why'd you trade away a top six forward for a second round pick and a forward who plays nine minutes a game? Why did you trade for a 34-year-old who hasn't been good at the NHL level in seven years? Why did you trade for a 29-year-old who won three, won two Stanley Cups being the third best player on the third line of a good team? Those are not the moves that help you win, win playoff games. At some point, you need to actually be able to make throws. To quote the great Craig Co Greg Cosell, who works for NFL Films, who works for ESPN, can you make the throws? At some point, you get to a point in your football career, Greg Cosell does football, you have to be able to make plays. What can you do for me in the scope of hockey? I don't care that you are a nice guy. I can find nice guys who are good at hockey. I can go out and get Joe Pavelski in that room. And Joe Pavelski has been a captain. He's been a leader on the Stars since he got there two years ago. I think Joe Pavelski would be fine. some point, you got to be honest with yourself. The Rangers have failed to be honest with themselves for quite a while now. And... The effects of that are going to be bad. They spent three seasons being bad, like just outright despicably bad. 
The second half of 1718, all of 1819, the first half of 1920. Despicably, like unwatchably bad hockey, playing not NHL players for extended periods of time. You saw little glimmers of a decent team the second half of 1920. You saw the potential to be a good team in some of the 56-game season. This year, the results are there. The play isn't. The Rangers play very, very ugly, boring hockey at 5-on-5 five five because they don't have enough talent. Because they haven't put Lafreniere in a position to succeed, he doesn't know how to play with high-end players because he spent all of last year making him ride shotgun with less talented guys. Kako spent two whole years playing with less talented guys, and you wonder why he has no positional awareness. Because you had him playing on a line last year where nobody knew what to do with the puck. No shit Kako doesn't know what to do playing with Kreider and Zabinijad. Because he never got a chance to. That was the whole point of being dog shit for several years. You have those young guys get the repetitions to cut their teeth, to calcify their scars. That is the point of rebuilding. It is not just to be bad and get all the pieces and then worry about how they fit together. You actually have to know how to do something with the pieces you get. Otherwise, there's no point. You just get a bunch of shit and stick it to the wall. You become what some of these other teams around the league are. You become the Oilers. You become the Jets, the Canucks, where you're just throwing shit at the wall without a real plan. And that's what the Rangers have done now. They acquired a bunch of talent. They don't know what to do with all of this talent. They think it makes more sense to play Patrick Nemeth when Nemeth is available than it does to play Zach Jones, than it does to play Nils Lundqvist. They think playing Barkley Goudreau with Ryan Stroman or Temi Panarin is better than playing Capo Caco with them. They think playing Lafreniere is with Filipino and Julian Gauthier is better than playing him with Kreider and Zabinijad, Stroman Panarin, anybody who might be able to actually get him the puck in a shooting situation. At some point, all of this short-sightedness, all of this dishonesty will come back to bite you. I will be hurt by it. I care. This is not my job. This is supposed to be fun. I should not be having to tell you your team is bad if you are the professional. This is the entire point of this podcast. It says it in the show's description when you read the show's description. You ever wonder what the fuck your team is doing and then they just lie to your face? That's what the Rangers have been doing for two years now and just expecting everybody to go along. I understand I consume a lot more hockey than the average fan. I am not the Rangers' target audience. I will go to Ranger games whether or not DJ Pauly D is playing during intermission, whether or not there's a bobblehead, whether or not they show Kendall Jenner on the scoreboard. That doesn't matter to me. I'm going to the hockey game for hockey. To a casual person, that might get them to go to one game, and if they have a good experience, they'll start caring. It, it's possible to do it that way. It's organic that way. At some point, you got to stop treating your customers like idiots. That's all I'm asking for here, man. When you're constantly dishonest with yourself, with your customers, with your audience, you see distrust, and it gets hostile. And yes, this is 
this is not a, a specific thing to hockey. This is a very common thing, especially in politics now, where there's just ravenous distrust by everybody in every direction. Everybody's got agendas. I just want the Rangers to win. I would like the Rangers to win a Stanley Cup before I'm dead. That's all I want. Just one. The Rangers have won one Stanley Cup since World War II. Based on that mass, 1940-94, to I'm looking at quite a while before the Rangers win a Stanley Cup. If the Rangers don't win a championship by the time I'm in my early 50s, if the climate crisis hasn't made hockey illegal because using air conditioning probably illegal in 20 years, probably going to be pretty pissed I cared this much when I was 24 and the people who ran the team didn't care about winning this much. Okay, that was 50 minutes. I've been On the solo episodes, I've been trying to be a little bit more concise, a little bit less rambly, but I got going here. And this is a definitely a thought I'm going to continue to explore and something I'm going to write about. But what I was working on originally for the blog, you're, if you're still listening, you're getting a little preview of what I'm looking at. I spent my Monday pouring through data sets, trying to unpack how Gerard Gallant's teams played before he got to New York. Were they fast-paced, slow-paced? Did they create a lot of chances, concede a lot of chances? What were the recipes for success? Because he's had several successful seasons, both in Florida and then in Vegas. What were those teams doing that allowed them to be successful? That is what I went back and poured through the data trying to find a consistent theme, a trend, something that I could point to and say, okay, I understand what they're trying to do and then, based on what they're doing right now, I could see what isn't working. So that is my plan for what I'm going to write at some point this week. Probably going to try and do a bulk of the legwork on Tuesday, look through more data, look at um, Corey Snyder's um, All Three Zones data, which is just invaluable for this kind of thing, because you need to be able to piece it together. And I can't go back and watch... 45 Ranger games back to back to back. I there's just not enough hours in the days to consume 45 games worth of tape. I will go back and watch the tape for individual instances and try and break down schematic things, but it's a lot more practical to do that in football when there are only 16 games during a regular season and they have the coaches film, the condensed coaches film, which is only 50 minutes. It's a lot easier to do 50 minutes than it is to do an hour and 40 minutes for 45 games. Okay, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show, enjoyed listening to me ramble and get depressed and angry and frustrated. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Ooh, Jason Spetsa. Damn. Why couldn't the Rangers get a Jason Spetsa, man? Somebody who's good to play fourth line minutes. Okay. Yes, I'm watching the Leafs and Devils while I'm recording. Probably going to go to Leafs-Devils on Tuesday, get my fix of live hockey in for the time being. See Austin Matthews. See Mitchell. See the Leafies and what's left of the Devils. Dear God, the Devils are just another injury year from hell. It's unfortunate. Probably try and get a Devils episode in the not-too-distant future. I have enough Devil fan friends where we could have a good conversation. Okay, please remember to subscribe to the show. Go subscribe to the show. Wherever you get your podcasts, please, 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 leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Read the blog, at Gotham SN. I do want to write something football, too, because the Giants did hire a general manager and a head coach, which I need to do an episode on. I want to get one of my friends, my Giant fan friends, to come on and talk about that. Kind of uses a sounding board. And 
That'll just about do it for today's show. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good Tuesday.